This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Welcome to the program. I'm Sean Drotar. Sandy Clough on my left. The great Danny Bailey in the booth making everything work. Colin text line today is 303-831-1340. You may want that a little more than the usual kind of day because we certainly expect reaction. We are waiting momentarily to find out whether Todd Helton will be elected to the National any Baseball Hall now. of Fame. Uh, yeah, literally at any moment, the election time to be uh, right now at and we will let you know as that goes along. But as it stands, at least, it appears the likeliest. Uh, Adrian Beltre, the uh, longtime third baseman, is likely to almost certainly make it. Overwhelmingly. Uh, Joe Maurer, former first overall pick, uh, all-star at both catcher and first baseman over the course of his career, also expected to make it. Among the others that are going to be uh, close, more than likely, Billy Wagner, longtime pitcher for the Astros, of course, a fireballer at, at uh, my height, 5'10", kind of remarkable. Lefty. Yeah, to see a guy that could bring it like that. And uh, Gary Sheffield, who was probably going to miss. But it's interesting running into Last those guys. Last year of yeah, eligibility it, for Sheffield. probably going to miss. For the writers. Uh, for, for the writers, writers yes. And uh, it, it's going to be kind of nip and tuck there, but, but we will see. But it looks at the least at the moment good for Helton. The thing that's interesting about this, Sandy, is if Helton were not to make it, at least historically, and um, as anyone who works in the stock world will tell you, past performances are no indication of future performances, but ordinarily when you see players finally sort of get traction, like we saw with Larry Walker a, a few years ago, and it starts to build and build and build, eventually those players, when it's multiple years in a row of building, they get there. And if Helton were to miss, it will it will be close, and the presumption was he'd get over it and get there next year. But you always worry about these sort of things because, as uh, Randy Gratishar can attest, as many great Colorado athletes have been able to attest, that there's no guarantee of that. You know, sometimes uh, when there's new guys coming on the ballot every single year, in this case, Maurer and Beltre, both first-year guys, sometimes it doesn't go that way. And only in the last couple of years have you really started to see some big-time numbers. For many years, it was one or two guys getting elected to the hall at the moment. Right. It may be... Uh, Two, three, or up to five. Yes, yes. And last year, I I think this is right on the average ballot. Five point eight six names, down from seven point one one in twenty twenty two. Seven one one seems very high. Uh, the Baseball Writers Association of America said thirteen point nine percent of the voters used all ten slots down from 33.8% in 2022. So you, you don't know exactly from year to year. Uh, I, Dan Shaughnessy, the great uh, columnist who, who writes about baseball beautifully for the Boston Globe and has for many years, um, one of those who revealed uh, yeah, the names one, on his ballot, and there were only two, yeah. only two for him. I assume Beltre was one. Uh, I wouldn't hazard a guess as to who the other one might have been. Could have been Maurer. I More suppose. transparency has been part of the process in the last couple of years. Uh, uh, one of the baseball well, writers, be Ryan Tibble. See, yeah, that's, I, I was talking about this today. I'm sitting around in the in the Miley Sports office and talking with Anilo Piero and, and Danny Bailey and Cody Rourke, who we've had on this program, about the idea that you'll run into uh, all the time, right? A lot of, uh, of, of writers will be talking about the idea during in whatever sport it is, right? That the referees should be accountable. They should have to come on a press conference after the game and explain what. Look, my argument is in any sport, 
any sport, if you are going to accept the responsibility of a Hall of Fame voter, I think it should be transparent. Absolutely. And I think that means you should have to answer to it. Right. And if you don't want it, then don't. And that, that's why I I respect Shaughnessy. I should be there I, in every way. I mean, there probably would be if I had a ballot, which I don't. Um, there there would be more than two names on it. Yes. Um, I don't know that there would be ten. Jason Stark, uh, who's been voting for decades, put ten names on his list. Uh, Bob Costas not having a vote bugs me because Isn't there is crazy? no better baseball historian. However, many. Baseball players, there have been 20,500 I was reading today Sounds uh, right. at all time. And you have 270 of them in the Hall of Fame. I, I would dare say Bob Costas has heard of about 20,499 <laughs> of those 20,500 players. And he doesn't have a vote. That that bothers me. Uh, th- these are writers, of course. And Bob Costas is a broadcaster. Right. But Bob Costas should have a Hall of Fame vote. It's kind of ridiculous to me that he doesn't. And the old line has been uh, distinguishing the Baseball Hall of Fame from the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Pro Football Hall of Fame has too few voters who can be manipulated. Yeah. And the baseball has too many. Uh, writers so. are too, too numerous. There are 400 of them. Uh, many of them young writers. Nothing wrong with that except they don't tend to remember history. Yeah, you have to go look up the as, numbers. As right. much and, as and to be, to others fair, do, and yeah. more into analytics, which is not neither a bad thing good either. nor bad, I don't think, and, uh, and as, as a matter of choice. Every veteran voter right. at some point was probably a younger voter. There's nothing wrong with that, but yeah, it, it becomes but almost you should times, know the history. It feels like that's important. 26 and, different candidates on this ballot, uh, 14 of them returning, and 12 first-timers. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. you know, almost uh, half new new players, so you wouldn't have to go back as far. But yeah. but you look at the players that are on it, Sandy, and on this ballot this year, and we talked about Beltran, Maurer, and Helton, and Wagner, and Sheffield. You have Andrew Jones, Carlos Beltran, Chase Utley, yeah. Alex Rodriguez, Manny Ramirez, uh, Bobby Abreu, Andy Pettit, Jimmy Rollins, Omar Vizquel, Mark, uh, Mark Burley, David Wright, Francisco Rodriguez, and uh, a handful of guys that may not make the threshold to return. Torrey Hunter, Jose Batista, Victor Martinez, Matt Holliday, uh, Bartolo Colon, James Shields, Jose Reyes, who was also a Rocky for one disastrous time, Brandon Phillips, and Adrian Gonzalez. But baseball in general, I think, has there, there are guys that are missing. But I will say that at least it doesn't have that backlog that when you when you get to the pro football Hall of fame where the, the randy gratishars the guys playing the 70s are still being debated you don't have that here it does seem like baseball's done a more or less better job of making sure that the guys within the realm of their 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 window of opportunity do get in if if i told you that 1.3 percent of all baseball players in the hall of fame would you say that's right about one out of the every percentage hundred? uh I don't think it should be higher than 2%. No, I agree with you. Myself. Well, 1.3%. Yeah. I'm okay with that. Is okay with me. That's that's about the right number. So, yeah, you can debate it. Um, you know, I've read books on it. Bill James' book uh, on the Hall of Fame was uh, particularly good many, many years ago. Um, it, but it comes down to the opinion of 400 baseball writers in in this case, this is mm-hmm. what we're talking about. There, there are more ways to get into the Hall of Fame now than there used to be. And some guys slip through who really don't belong. But generally, generally, 
I think while there are too many writers voting, writers done a pretty good job. Generally I, yeah, speaking, I, I think so. And and obviously the standard is high. I think high. the, the, the whole to... unanimous thing is is dumb to me. Uh, that there only been a handful of unanimous. Right. Uh, and some writers will have, have historically even said, well, I won't because I don't think it should be unanimous. Look, well, uh, yes, this is just Beltray is likely to make it in the presumption now with it, maybe a 99% rate. Yeah. Well, I, I, I get mean, it. There's people. How can Mike Schmidt, it, but, though, only get 96%? Right. Well, and, and the point about it is that needs to be something we stop caring about. You're in or you're out. You're in or you're out. Well, okay. But I, I, I think the best of the best should be unanimous. Willie Mays, oh, not unanimous. I have no problem with unanimous things, and okay. it hasn't happened. And I have no problem. I don't know if, quite frankly, Adrian Beltre needs to be a unanimous Hall of Famer necessarily. But there were certain guys. Look, when Derek Jeter and Larry Walker made it in, if Derek Jeter was unanimous, was I going to complain? No. I mean, I, I get that. Yeah. It, it makes perfect yeah. sense to me. I'm like, you can tell me with the. Well, a lot of I, it's, I get it. It's the Hall of Fame, right? Right. right. Derek Jeter, famous baseball player. With multiple championships great for the player. biggest team great, in the great player. country. And yeah. clearly an impact on winning. Right. You know, his stats, his analytics weren't necessarily they weren't as the bad. greatest, no. but they didn't look, they, they weren't you know, out of place it, listen, at all. Listen, his peak value was pretty good, and his longevity was outstanding. Outstanding. Right. I mean, come on. So I don't have an issue with that. And you're right. It is kind of silly that, that because, because that's sort of the weird precedent that now – they still look at it, and you know you're going to be all of a sudden shocked that perhaps uh, Beltre will break George Brett's record for the most highest percentage of yeah. votes. Uh, but that doesn't mean anything. That that happened over well, the, the in course the long of decades, run. and it's in the, in the long run changes. Uh, you know, we occurred, talked right. about it with Jerry Jones getting in before Pat Bowen, but at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter who got in first; they're both in. Right now, when it you may walk matter to music, Robert yes. Kraft, who looks at his record even compared to Bowens and certainly compared to Jerry Jones and says, why are those two in and I'm not right. And you know, Jones is still alive. So Jones probably catches more heat from Robert Kraft and private conversations than Bowen. Yeah, I would. Well, yeah. Yes. And I'd, I'd highly doubt Jerry Jones cares either, but the, the nature of these hall of fame votes are so fascinating. And the idea behind that, because when you get into the museum itself, there's just a bunch of, of busts and plaques and and the, the percentage you got in votes aren't on there. None of that gets carried on. And I, I do think in baseball, it's interesting as we await that announcement that is it time? And I guess I would ask you about this. You'd have a better perspective than I would. Is it time to ditch the, the caps? Because now the world of free agency means you've played so many places that a player should pick one or should they just be blank or even worry about it? I don't even care. I, I yeah. never have about caps. No, but it's I, but it I, ends up being a big thing, and which won't be on I, the plaque. Yes. And, the, and the player yeah, it's selects a, which it's they want. It's a conversation piece, but I I don't think it means all that much. I understand with free agency guys can bounce around a little more, but I have my own ideas. On, right. Uh, which team I associate a certain player with, and it, it, that's not going to change based on the happy chooses yeah it, it's it's not an impactful thing to me too i know it does b- bother some people for example you know if you find out that uh the rockies n- next hall of famer if it is not helton right now will end up being nolan arenado one day and nolan it would arenado be interesting may it would be interesting have a st louis cardinals cap on, on his uh bust when he gets might. there and would that bother rockies fans I, I guess it probably would it might a little bit uh, it's the player's decision to uh, i get that but 
it's uh, that that part is always kind of intriguing because I do wonder, you know, free agency changes that so dramatically that you have guys playing for multiple teams, even great hall, even great Hall of Fame guys. You know, you had Randy Johnson playing on oh, multiple yeah. multiple Absolutely. teams over the course of his career, and and uh, he picks one, and but the same thing, I I don't even remember what Randy Johnson picked. I don't either. So it doesn't um, really matter, I suppose. To, to be honest, actually, I suspect it wasn't the Montreal Expo. Uh, so prob- that's probably where we not. Yeah, uh, along with Larry Walker, of Larry course, Walker, uh, with yeah. the, those great Expos teams that could have, well, should have won a right. championship. You, you wonder about 1994. I, I still wonder about that. And, and we go back now, what 30 years? Yeah, boy, that team was loaded though. The the strike year, yeah, 30 Ooh, years ago. Go back and look at that. What a team. that squad. What a team. And they were absolutely and and, and, such and a we disaster. saw them. We saw them come in here yeah. to Denver and play at yep. Old Mile High. Stadium. Second year of the of, yeah. of the Rockies, of course, and uh, you ended up seeing that that terrific team, and it ended up shaking uh, uh, really the Expos out of Montreal, unfortunately. So that was a. A, oh, a absolutely! That, as well. that, that was the death. I mean, they may have won. They might have won the World Series that year for baseball in Montreal, and that's you know, one of my other things. Um, I hated the ballpark in Montreal. Went won a bunch of games there. Uh, wish I had been able to go to Cherry Park, which right. was a real baseball park, although too small for modern standards. But that was a real baseball park, not Olympic Stadium. And that was for the Olympics. Oh, literally, literally for the Olympics, literally. right, of course. Okay, it was a terrible baseball venue, but the access to Olympic Stadium based on the 76 Olympics and the infrastructure that was created, the access was the best for any ballpark I've ever gone to for a ball game. It was wonderful. And I think the Montreal fans, historically, they were the first fans professionally to welcome Jackie Robinson. Correct. Who played for the Montreal Royals, the Montreal before, Royals before playing for 1946, before jumping to the Dodgers exactly. the next year. Yeah. And the fans were great. And I always thought Montreal was a terrific baseball city and should have had a world champion in 1994. I think would have had a world champion in 1994. Larry, Larry Walker would have been in the Hall of Fame even sooner. Absolutely. And uh, Absolutely. Walker, of course, the only Rocky, Walker was the best player on that uh, in in the Hall of Fame, obviously for the Colorado Rockies that played a significant part of of his career. And so, uh, to have Helton make it, if Helton were to make it, uh, does that mean something? Does is it some sort of a vindication for a franchise and for a fan base that even after more than a quarter century in the majors? that uh, you are part of the firmament and the history of baseball to have somebody that, in Helton's case, uh, we're talking about a guy that leads the Rockies all time in games played, in at-bats, in runs, in hits, total bases, doubles, home runs, RBI, all of those. Helton leads all of those. And and the fact that uh, this is the guy that defines the franchise being in, does it change the way the Rockies are considered a little bit? A little bit, yeah. And I think it probably helps that Helton will be forever associated with that first and so far only World Series team in the history of the Rockies. I was glad to see that, glad for Helton, but glad for the history of the Rockies, that they had that that one special month. Uh, It's called Rocktober, but it was really mid-September through mid-October of 2007 I'm, I'm glad they had that uh that will never be duplicated 
No, it never almost happened. In, almost before impossible. 2007, and it will never happen again in quite that way. Yeah. So are we uh, monitoring? We, we are. I am monitoring it. Uh, yes, as we speak. And of course, the uh, induction will be July 21st. Open Cooperstown, New York, and as they make the uh, announcement, I, I went uh, to Cooperstown. The only time been there on the 50th anniversary of the Baseball Hall of Fame. Yeah. And you know what? And as crazy as it sounds, and I'm almost embarrassed to say it, I have never made it to the Baseball of Fame. I've never well, been able to make it. Yeah, it, abso- it oh, it absolutely is. And it, would, it anyway. would be a treat to be able to do it with uh, with Helton being there. Uh, as they made sure. the announcement, the first sure. announce, uh, first player to be elected is Beltre, as expected. So Beltre will be in the Hall 21 years, uh, playing for an, an awful lot of uh, teams over the course of his career. But obviously Beltre makes it so. We'll continue to let you know how that uh, shakes out. They are making the announcement from Cooperstown as we speak. But, yeah, for the uh, for the no, Rockies phone now. Phone calls you know, have already been made. Phone right? calls have been made, yes. Uh, and I assume we'll learn a little bit more. But as the director is uh, speaking now, you know, we'll find out in just a moment here. But it, it is nice now after this span of time that whether it happens this year, and I, I do believe it will, that now the Rockies are represented in a, in a way in which the two best players in the franchise are, are hopefully in. Uh, you go look at career wins against replacement, which is a, one of those Bill James created stats that's helpful because it can be applied retroactively. And Todd Helton is the career leader for the Rockies at 61.8 over the course of his career. Larry Walker, 48.3. Nolan Arenado is third at 40.1. And the uh, then the jump to Troy Tulowitzki at third is 39.5. And then it jumps to uh, Trevor Story. And then after that, it's a big gap. Uh, they do announce Joe Maurer, as expected. Maurer will be um, uh, inducted into the Hall of Fame. Maurer, uh, like Helton, played his entire career with one organization Probably in Minnesota. Maurer played in with both uh, as both a catcher and a first baseman. The interesting thing is the Minnesota Twins were one of those teams that was going to be eliminated at one point right. in time. Remember that? Yes, when they were thinking of contraction and instead of expansion. Exactly. And... One of the benefits uh, of they're not doing that, which I believe was right. Right. Um, got to see Joe Maurer play for the Minnesota Twins, which would not have otherwise been possible if they contracted. He would have been playing for it's, somebody It's pretty else. unusual, actually, in Maurer's case, and credit to him, because uh, it is not normal in, in baseball history for the number one overall pick to actually be a Hall of Fame caliber guy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. Sure. Yeah. And, yes, Colorado Rockies' Todd Helton has been inducted into the Hall of Fame, the third announcement all 17 years of his career while wearing number 17. Your newest Hall of Famer in the Colorado Sports Firmament is Todd Helton, who has been elected to the National Baseball Hall of Fame as we speak and will be inducted this summer out at Cooperstown. The first Colorado Rocky who spent his entire career with the organization and a deserving player. You talk about Hall of Famer, Sandy, when you talk about uh, peak value and longevity. Mm-hmm. Uh, Helton absolutely had both. Yeah, he did. And you went over the numbers yesterday. But when you look at his peak years, 1999 through 2004, right? Six-year stretch. Averaged 344, 37 homers, 48 doubles, and 121 RBIs. Averaged. Now, you know, for, for I guess, three of those years, right, mm-hmm. uh, he had the benefit of playing 
here without the humidor. Right. But in three of those years, <laughs> the humidor was in effect. Well, and the humidor, when it comes to and Helton's... And it didn't depress the numbers appreciably. And that's the interesting part. In Helton's case, uh, it did end up knocking down maybe Helton's power numbers a bit, but not his average. He, oh, he still no. He still maintained not, an extraordinarily high average. Extra capacity. base numbers, uh, doubles numbers, uh, 592 doubles. I mean, that's way right. up the list. Not right. Rockies, but all time. He but, was still able to get the bat on the ball. And as I mentioned yesterday, one of the rare guys you'll see with more career walks than strikeouts. Right. And one of those other guys is Ted Williams. Mm-hmm. And when Joe you DiMaggio, think of I mean, the great. entire career of Ted Williams, he averaged 344. Uh, from 1939 through 1960, war years uh, obviously were missed. Uh, many of those years, if not all of them, during what would have been Williams' prime. But the average is, is probably a fair representation of the kind of player he was. And the on-base percentage, because he drew all kinds of walks. He uh, never swung at a pitch he didn't want to right. swing at or shouldn't have swung at. Uh, those were his number, 344, for his entire career. So for six years, Todd Helton put up numbers that Ted Williams did. That, I mean, Not Joe DiMaggio either. Yeah. Uh, and, and, no, no, a higher average you know, than DiMaggio. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. And, you know, it's always been said, listen, I didn't, you know, DiMaggio was one of the great defensive center fielders of all time. Uh, Ian Willie Mays are probably in sort of mm-hmm. class by themselves with Andrew Jones. If you're strictly looking at defense, right. Andrew Jones is in that class, strictly looking at defense, right? Williams not known as a particularly good or interested fielder, uh, but was considered, obviously, the greater hitter of the two, with DiMaggio being the more graceful. Helton, during those <laughs> that five-year span in which he never missed an All-Star game, that 2000-2004, as you pointed out, you know, the 344 yeah. number, Helton yeah. was 349. Yeah. Stunning. Amazing. Stunning numbers. Todd Helton elected the Hall of Fame. That is your class, by the way. Beltre, Maurer, and Helton, the three-man class for the Hall of Fame of 2024. Obviously, we want to know your thoughts on it. The call and text line is 303-831-1340. I will have an opportunity to take a look at that as well. And Jenny Kavnar of the longtime Colorado Rockies broadcaster will be joining us at the top of the hour to talk about it as well. Let us know your thoughts. Todd Helton elected to the Hall of Fame, the first career-long Rocky in the Hall. Congrats to Todd Helton. Congrats to the Rockies organization. And uh, I imagine there'll be a pretty decent party in the Hilton household with some, uh, some big friends as well. Well deserved. By the way, and well, well deserved. deserved. We'll talk about this more next on My Life Sports. It's time to come together. It's up to you. What's your pleasure? Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. 
Todd Helton elected to the National Baseball Hall of Fame, one of the three-person class that includes Adrian Beltre and Joe Maurer. Helton, after the ballots were revealed, maybe surprisingly so, uh, Beltre with 95.1% does not surpass George Brett for the Good. most among third basemen. Or Mike Schmidt. Or that. Mike Schmidt. Uh, a bit of a surprise. Helton received a larger percentage of the votes than Maurer. 79.7% of the final ballots Almost for 80. Todd Helton. Yeah, good. And 761 for Joe Maurer. The next closest, Billy Wagner at 73.8. Oh, so, close. so close. Gary Sheffield, 63.9. Yeah, Andrew, he's, he's uh, he, fading. That on his last year on the ballot, so uh, that, that does it for Sheffield. Uh, Andrew Jones, 61.6. Carlos Beltran. 57.6, many years to go if those climbs happen. Yeah. Uh, two interesting members of that ballot, uh, obviously the the steroid era of baseball, uh, of which Beltre and Helton and to an extent Maurer functioned within uh, in that span of time as well. But uh, Alex Rodriguez, 34%. Manny Ramirez, 32.5%. Obviously, voters feel very differently about their legacy uh, compared to that part of the steroid era. Notables that fall off of the Hall of Fame ballot because they did not reach 5%. Jose Batista, Victor Martinez, Bartolo Colon, uh, Hall of Fame of awesome, but not Hall of Fame in baseball. <laughs> Adrian Gonzalez and, uh, and former Colorado Rocky, uh, Matt Holiday, yeah. who received 1% of the vote. Not a a shock there, to be honest. Uh, Holiday, of course, a, uh, a terrific the Hall of the very good. Yes, and, and, a, and a beloved member of the Rockies. Um, Matt can enjoy watching perhaps a Jackson Holiday make a run yeah. at that one day in the future. The former first overall pick himself in uh, Jackson Holiday. Helton was not the first overall pick. He was the uh, eighth overall pick in the first round coming out of Tennessee in which he had played first base, right field, and closer. Uh, Golden Spikes uh, nominee, the equ- baseball's equivalent of the Heisman. Uh, we're talking about a player that was not a surprise that he was a great player, but maybe a surprise that he so quickly became great in the majors because he didn't spend a tremendous amount of time in the minors, especially no. in a time frame in which players really, no matter where you picked, generally did. Yeah, and I, I think that's maybe started to change just a little bit. Um, although I did see today in one of those pieces they put out at around this time every year, uh, project who will break through this year in Major League Baseball. Teams right. who were bad last year who might take a 10 or more game jump. Rockies weren't on standings. it. Rockies were not on it for some <laughs> reason. They, they listed six teams. And, uh, you know, it, one of the arguments for the Boston Red Sox had to do with their minor league teams' performance collectively in recent years, which... I don't think necessarily translates, but um, I, I I think now, and it's I think true to the whole sports players have better training, and they can get to the majors yeah. sooner. In Helton's case, it was quick. I mean, he he was drafted, and a twenty one was assigned to to Asheville in the South Atlanta League at Class A ball. He only played fifty four games there at the tail end of ninety five of the year. He was drafted ninety six. Yeah. Uh, or was it then immediately jumped to New Haven, uh, where the Rockies had their double right. A team at that point, played 93 games there, and uh, batted 332 with uh, <laughs> with 31 extra base hits in those 93 games, 
and had over 100 hits. So averaging more than a hit a game, a double-A, the Rockies promoted him to Colorado Springs, which at the time was their triple-A team. Right. He only played 21 games <laughs> there before then yeah. jumping to the Colorado Rockies. I mean, So he never that. played 100 games at any one stop. At any one stop. And, uh, and, and barely got over 100 after the year he was drafted, where he played, you know, half the year in rookie league balls. So, well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about a, a stratospheric rise. And remember at the time that the Rockies had a heck of a first baseman in Andres Galarraga. They did. And, and they were able to trade him uh, to it, Atlanta. It didn't feel as if there was a big he rush, He would have been a right? left fielder, probably. Yeah. And so uh, he ends up making that that debut. Uh, Helton starts the year in 97 in Colorado Springs. Again, uh, hits three. 52 down there and and be, just became undeniable and the Rockies realized we have to move on from Galarraga because uh, this guy's ready right now and uh, never so, stopped uh, he did play for Don Baylor not for long but not for long for a time yeah, so season. every that, yeah. Rockies manager uh, he retired in 13 right Todd Hilton did yes after the 2013 season yep. what was Weiss's first year you know, I'd remember to, I didn't think about that one. 13, 14, did yeah, he play for Weiss? He might have played for Weiss. I'll, I'll have to look that up with the skippers and, and, and see how that, that all shook out. That's but, a bit, you know, there aren't a lot of, you know, Bud Black succeeded. Yeah. Weiss. So I'm, th- uh, uh, Baylor so I'm went thinking. towards 98, as, as you discussed. Well, yeah. And, uh, yeah, and, he played for Baylor. I yeah. know that. As a matter I, of fact, yes, you hit it. So the, the only Baylor manager. Baylor in 97 and 98, Buddy Bell after that. Uh, well, yeah. You know, you have Bud Black, Clint Hurdle, Jim uh, Jim Leland, and Walt Weiss's first year. Todd Buddy, Bell. Uh, Buddy Bell. Buddy Bell, yes. Buddy me. Black is the only manager that he never played for in the history of the Rockies. Because, yes, Walt Weiss's first year was 2013. All right. So, yeah, every manager except. So, Weiss had four years, 13 through 16. Correct. Since 17, it's been Correct. Bud Black. And the Rockies, uh, by the way, for manager's all-time winning record remains Jim Tracy with a Four eighty-eight. Yeah. Don yeah. Baylor slightly behind him at four eighty-four. Bud Black now, after the disastrous year yeah. last year, yeah, well. is now tied with Clint Hurdle at a four sixty-one, where only Jim Leland in his one year and Walt Weiss have lower winning percentages among managers. But yes, I mean Helton kind of spans the Rockies' entire history almost on his own, and I, I always remember too, especially near the end of his career. It, if there was one thing that he rarely complained about, but every once in a while you'd, you'd hear him sort of grouse, and it kind of cracks me up that it never happened. Todd Helton really did want to pitch in a Major League Baseball game, even in some blowout, you know, save the bullpen, we were down 13 to nothing, uh, because he, he pitched in college. Yeah. And I never, got a, never got a crack at it. That that always that always sort of surprised me because you know when you put guys in there sometimes they never pitched or whatever and you had a guy that was the closer on a top twenty team and and they never let him try it which I think shows you how valuable the Rockies considered him otherwise like we we just well yeah if you get hurt throwing a pitch yeah. even in some garbage pointless yeah. game we'll never ever ever live it down no that's yeah. true Todd Helton just about uh, five months ago uh, last uh, well, a little longer than that last August. Uh, turned 50 so this is a very nice uh if somewhat belated birthday gift for helton and then we talked about a bit yesterday remember uh, peyton manning likely doesn't join the denver broncos in part unless todd helton is one of the guys that sells him on living in colorado 
So, I mean, talking about a significant figure here in Colorado sports history. We wanted to get your text as well, 303-831-1340, on the reaction to Todd Helton being elected into the National Baseball Hall of Fame. Danny, what have you got? This one more about another former Rocky than uh, Helton himself, but from Man of the People, will Arenado's playoff numbers keep him out of Hall of Fame? No. (laughs) No. No, 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 He he could retire tomorrow. A lot of Hall of Famers were not. Great in the postseason. And remember, you have to, a lot of the cases, too, not only were they not great, I mean, they also, a lot of them didn't ever get to play because of the nature of the playoffs was so limited until somewhat Ernie recently Dines as well. Famously. Right. Never never got a postseason appearance. So, no, Arenado's numbers, when you consider offense and the fact that, uh, look, I, I think the best probably three defensive third basemen in history are probably, put them in whatever you want, I, I will put them in whatever I want. Uh, Brooks Robinson, Nolan Arenado, and Mike Schmidt. And I put Arenado ahead of Mike Schmidt because Mike Schmidt said Nolan Arenado is ahead of Mike Schmidt, and that's good enough for me. Well, I I saw (laughs) Mike Schmidt a lot uh, in person. I saw Brooks Robinson occasionally in uh, person, and obviously Nolan Arenado a lot more than the other two in person from his years here. And um, I don't think Nolan Arenado had to take a back seat to anyone as a defensive third baseman in the history of the, baseball. The basically is ridiculous. The, in, the instincts are are amazing. The ability to release from all these different arm angles. Yeah, I I, I don't know. You're, when you're talking about, is it Robinson yeah, and, or Arenado who's the best ever? That's a pretty cool discussion. Yeah, that that is. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, he's a better hitter than Brooks. Uh, I don't think he's as good a hitter as Schmidt. No. Um, defensively, uh, I think he's on a par. Uh, as a defensive third baseman, Greg Nettles is fantastic. Yeah. Now, he yeah. wasn't nearly the hitter that those other You're right, though. three guys were, especially but I mean, no, Schmidt Arnato has 10 gold gloves. A lot of guys yeah. don't have 10-year careers. He's right. got 10 gold gloves. Right. I mean, I, yeah. th- there's defensively, there's, there's no not doubt. much to say about that. I mean, it's 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 a little bit ridiculous. No, Arnato will make it in. But after that, for the Rockies, it will be a long, long time. And obviously, there's still a little, I think, bad blood between Rockies fans and, and Arenado. And uh, Troy Tulowitzki yeah, did bit. not make uh, his the longevity was not there for oh, Tulowitzki. No. The peak was probably there, but the longevity most certainly not. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what, he had three great years here, would you say? I mean, great year, Hall of Fame caliber years. Probably, three. that's about right, yeah. Three. 08 wasn't one of them. Uh, I'm thinking of 09. 10, I mean, 07 was pretty good. It was rookie year. Uh, yeah. Uh, that wasn't bad. Rookie year, go to the World Series. You're mm-hmm. a key player in a World Series. I mean, it, he was a, you know, top, he was the fifth in MVP voting in 09 when he had that right. terrific. Right, you know, Oh, terrific no year, doubt. That was his runs. best year. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, that this, you know, pretty solid peak. But, yeah, the, the longevity wasn't quite there, which is crazy in baseball, right? Because Yeah. Um, I, I don't think – three Lewinsky, years doesn't get you in the hole. Feels, it feels like, you know, to an extent, Tulowitzki's career was too short, but he – Played for 13 years in the majors. Uh, yeah, but but, but when uh, you look, more than half of those years were shortened by injury, um, affected by age after a while. But again, as a defensive shortstop, you'd be hard pressed to find too many who were more spectacular than Tulowitzki as a right. defensive shortstop. Right, absolutely. And uh, but it, but you know, not a Hall of Famer. It's going to be a while. And for the Rockies, as I said after that, you know, you're talking about the, the wins above replacement, which is not exactly the, a catch-all, end-all, be-all metric, but I think it's a relatively good one. And 
Uh, Tula Whiskey is going to make it. Trevor Story, who's the next for the Rockies, is not going to make it. Carlos Gonzalez did not have the longevity. He won't make it. And then it goes to Charlie Blackman. Uh, Blackman uh, is not going to make it. And then Matt Holiday after that, no, as eighth Hall best, and Holiday just rolled off the uh, the ballot. Yeah. And then uh, you have your first pitcher, Ubaldo Jimenez, but certainly not a Hall of Famer. In other words, the Rockies' next Hall of Famer, Pastor Arnado, who knows, may not play for the Rockies yet. That oh, may, I, you know, I don't think there's much doubt about that. Yeah, I mean, it's difficult to imagine that. Uh, I mean, Nolan Jones had and a very I, nice I, year, but you know, you know, and, and Chris Bryant. You know, it was great um, early on, played on a World Series champion in 16, and then kind of petered out. So right. he, he does not have the longevity and, and probably not quite the brilliance. I mean, these folks here uh, always talked about trading Arenado straight across for Bryant, mm-hmm. right? Right. No. <laughs> I mean, Chris Bryant played more positions, I guess. Yeah. Other than that. But it also, with there all isn't due respect to Chris Bryant, he played multiple there. positions in part because he wanted his bat in the lineup and we're trying to, if not yeah, hide his yeah. glove, oh, trying so to at least find a spot where it was. He wasn't even close to right. Arenado. So uh, it'll be a while. So enjoy this, Rockies fans. Uh, Todd Helton elected the first career-long Rocky elected to the Hall of Fame, only the second Rocky ever elected to the Hall of Fame. We'll take your calls and texts as well, 303-831-1340. But we turn our attention to the Denver Nuggets, who will continue their road trip against the Indiana Pacers tonight. And a couple little bites, one from uh, the team they last defeated, one from their coach, as to what makes Nikola Jokic so special. We'll hear from them next on Miley Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Welcome back to the show. We turn our attention to the Denver Nuggets, who will tip off against the Pacers in just about 14 minutes. Then the game will, of course, be on altitude television. The Nuggets' uh, road trip continues. It will wrap up shortly after uh, this. The five-game road trip will wrap up against the New York Knicks on Thursday. But the uh, the last team that the Nuggets vanquished out in Washington, you know, we heard Daniel Gafford yesterday talk a little bit about the challenges of defending Nikola Jokic one-on-one. But Tyus Jones was asked after that game in particular about not only Jokic, but the Nuggets' offensive identity and why it's difficult to play against. And some of it, he admitted, was simply unfamiliarity. Tyus, as a guard, how hard is it to defend against an offense like that where they run a lot of their plays through a center Mm -hmm. at the top of the key? Yeah, it's different. It's super unique. Um I think it's, yeah, it's it's difficult, you know, just because it's it's different. Like you said, it's unique. Um, one of the best passes in the league, um, and, and being that he's a center, it's a it's a complete different wrinkle that you 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 know you don't see a whole lot. So, um, it's tough. Even and everyone obviously knows the player he is, but he still manages ways to find different passes and different reads that 
um, you know, you take away first, second option, he's still getting to his third option with without hesitating, and it's um, so it's tough. But they do a great job playing off of him. Um, you know, they got shooting, they got um, athletes. Um, him and you know Jamal, great one-two, one-two tandem. So um, it's it provides a, a great challenge. Um, but yeah, to answer your question, it's super unique, um, and he's just extremely unselfish. And I think that's what really makes it um, so hard to you know to stop. I, I think uh, you know we we can debate greatness. Uh, Jokic still has some years left, and I can only imagine his greatness being enhanced during that period of time. But he, to me, will go down definitively as the most unselfish player in the history of basketball. That, I mean, and that's a statement. But And Tyus Jones hinted at that. Tyus Jones, by the way, had 15 points and 13 assists the other night. Right. So he was distributing, and he's a pretty good person to ask about the order pass. Yeah, and I, I think when you start hearing other players talk about an, uh, any player as unselfish, uh, that means it's pretty notable. Because obviously, especially in in today's NBA, where passing has become more valuable I, yep. than it probably ever has, I think there's more of as the ISO game sort of uh, thankfully fades thankfully. away, yes. and you have a much more uh, artistic and attractive and interesting game now. But uh, that unselfishness matters, and that's what you consistently hear is unselfishness around the league, uh, not only from his Nuggets teammates, but around the league, and it's. It ends up being a, a really pleasant thing to watch, and it makes Jokic easy to root for. But I love how Jones explains that it, it's also just a strategic advantage for the Nuggets because the other threat with a guy like Jokic is you can't assume he'll pass. He'll score on you. you know, well, he put he, up 42 points. He creates, <laughs> against the Washington. through his skills, so many options. And, I mean, there are only four guys on the court with him or else he'd have even more <laughs> outside of a five man group. Uh, he, he creates options and openings that nobody else can. Nobody else can even visualize. I, I mean, the that's, no that's look the, passes, uh, yeah. you know, are spectacular, but a lot of the other stuff that he does rather conventionally, you how did he first see it? And then do it yeah. once he saw it. And the progressions he goes through reminds you and how quickly, how quickly best quarterbacks who ever it's lived, fast. that he's so quick through his progressions, as Tyus Jones indicated. Yeah, and you think about, of course, the nature of basketball, and I guess it's fewer players and it's a different sport, but at the same time, uh, you get to call a play and everyone gets to line up and start at the same time. Basketball yep. is always in motion, and Jokic is identifying oh, that sure. in real time. His style of play has won over fans all over, not just the country, but the it's world. It's also won over young centers worldwide. Yes. Uh, take a look at young centers coming into the NBA. Certainly look at college centers. Look at the way now centers are, are playing it at lower levels. This is He has reinvented the center position. And as a result, He's changed the, game. the fan He's base changed the game. has adapted. And for the, the Nuggets, you have started hearing... MVP chance for Nikola Jokic on the road. Absolutely. And, and look, I get He's it. It's very popular. Once you win a title, you're going to collect some fans. The team will collect some fans. There are going to be some bandwagon fans. But I promise you, especially on this last road trip, when you're talking about Philadelphia and Boston, <laughs> these are not the towns where they're like a whole bunch of uh, new Denver Nuggets fans, okay? 
and, and you're hearing these chants all the time in opposing arenas. Michael Malone was asked what that actually means. Well, I think it's the highest honor, you know, for, for a player when you can go on the road and uh, lead your team to a victory and you have the respect of the entire NBA community. And most of the time you go on the road, it's a hostile environment. But I think fans and true fans and students of the game, they understand greatness and how fortunate they are to watch a player that um, just plays the right way. There's a lot of talented players in this league, but if you don't love Nikola Jokic, I don't know what you're looking for. The guy is just uh, super talented high IQ, and one of the more unselfish players that you're ever going to find. And when I was in Cleveland for five years, we, we would get that with LeBron a lot. People would, you know, at the end of games, chant MVP and applaud the effort after witnessing, you know, greatness in front of them. So that's always cool for him to get that. And uh, it was a nice uh, recognition by the fans here in D.C. And I think people maybe forget in Michael Malone's background, that's that's part of it too. So, I mean, he's He's seen this sort of thing before, and it's really kind of fascinating to watch. Jokic, by the way, by the numbers, 26.5 points is 13th best in the league. 12.2 rebounds is second in the league, and 8.6 assists per game is sixth in the league per game. That's just on the road. And, and yes, and, and you care least about the scoring. Right. Yes. The scoring is there when it needs to be, and if it doesn't need to be, you don't care. Five triple doubles on the road. That's the most of any a team in right. the league. And the, uh, the the Nuggets, by the way, virtue in part of a uh, tremendous individual performance by Carl Anthony Towns that ended up in a loss for the Timberwolves. Uh, the Timberwolves sort of getting reeled back in a little bit. Not not that much, I guess. Well, I mean, the coach, we, we say coaches get over an 82-game season. A couple about of, four chances to really go off. Uh, Finch took one of those chances last yes. night, just excoriating his team. I mean, they're playing Charlotte. He called them at home. immature. Was and the term. He was right, immature, and he called them all out. Uh, really, Towns kind of included mm-hmm. uh, because Towns did nothing in the fourth quarter. Uh, hard to believe, a guy scored sixty-two points, didn't do anything in the fourth quarter, but they blew a fifteen-point lead. Actually, it was an 18-point lead 18, at one point. Yep. And we're outscored 36-18 in the fourth quarter and lost the ballgame. And, you know, it, it, yeah. 62 is great. In that fourth quarter, as you pointed out, only four but, points, two for 10 shooting. Yeah. So on yeah. top of that, oh, as the lead was dwindling away, uh, Towns is still trying to just get his. And uh, Well, I, yeah. I, I, don't, I, I don't know that he it, – it, it, Finch made it clearly. He's talking about it. Most everybody Correct. was immature in the way they handled – uh, the game and uh, it, Finch knows you lose, you cannot lose even on the road to one of those five teams. And Charlotte's one of those five awful teams, and you cannot lose anywhere, but most especially at home. And they, yes, kind of leveled off. And I, I think the two best teams right now, maybe three, because the Clippers are hot. Oklahoma City, Denver, and the Clippers are all ahead of uh, Minnesota. And the difference is minuscule. Minnesota's lost 13. Oklahoma City's lost 13. The Nuggets have lost 14. The Clippers have lost 14. Right. Then there's a drop-off all the way down to 18 yes. losses. Nuggets and Thunder but half game no behind Minnesota. Which four teams are the best in the West It's just a question of among those four, yes. who's the most dangerous? And for my money, it's Denver hands down as a 
proven playoff It's worth winner. noting that Phoenix has won six in a row uh, and it started to kind of get yeah, into form. Yeah, and they're hot, but a lot of that's come at home. They're 25 and 18, largely because they play 25 home games and only 18 on the road. I want to see them play on the road a little bit before I'm convinced that, they, that they're moving along. And uh, the Clippers, you know, any team with James Harden, and I, I will say this right up front, uh, James Harden has played a lot better for the Clippers than I expected mm-hmm. him to play. But the Clippers, as has been true with any team throughout the years with James Harden, are weaker defensively for the fact that James Harden is out there. Out of the top eight teams in the West, eight, only the Clippers have a losing road record, too, worth noting. Well, well. that's part of it. Mm -hmm. That's part of it. And it was part of Minnesota's problem, and I know it wasn't a road game, but it was part of Minnesota's problem. How do you give up 36 points in a quarter to the Charlotte Hornets? Right. It was bad, and so I didn't the, think the, anybody. The Nuggets could be have that bad. a window uh, to to continue to gain on them a little bit here. Uh, they are obviously expected to beat the Pacers. The Pacers kind of reinventing on the fly after the trade well, of Bruce Brown with yeah, Pascal Siakam, but they're but, not a bad team. Uh, they're twenty four and nineteen. They're not a bad. And they're team. good at home. Thirteen and eight. Yes, and they play at a pace that few teams can match. So I, they're going to impose that. I'm thinking. Tonight, so the, the Nuggets are going to have to exert themselves a little bit, and I'm sure they're aware of that. Yeah, the Nuggets will probably not get a lot of help on the schedule. The Thunder host the Trailblazers. Uh, they're obviously not expected to lose that one. The Clippers will take on the Lakers to get an idea of how far the Lakers are falling. Your NBA in-season tournament champions. The Clippers are favored over their uh, roommates there by nine and a half points tonight, so the Nuggets will have to keep it going. We have an opportunity to talk about the big news of the day. Todd Elton elected to the National Baseball Hall of Fame. We'll have an opportunity to do that with someone who's uh, very familiar with those exploits. Longtime Rockies broadcaster Jenny Kavnar will join us next on My Life Sports. It's- 